0: As I got away from the keyboard, so to speak, you know, started to see the engineers that I, had, I was working with or were working with me, you know, some were picking up how to do things better, and others were, you know, locked into the way that we've always done it. And that's kind of the challenge that I see, the constraints of, of, of native cloud services.
1: Welcome to Altitude, the unsung heroes of cloud transformation, a podcast by Aviatrix. Today, more and more enterprises are moving their business up to the clouds as the race to innovate continues. In this multi-cloud world, IT leaders and teams find themselves behind the wheel where they are confronted with both new challenges and new opportunities. On Altitude, we explore the voices and stories of the people who are overcoming these challenges every day to drive their business to the next level. Be sure to subscribe on your preferred listening app and stay tuned for this episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another great episode of Altitude. Super excited about today's episode. We are going to look at cloud networking from the angle of the system integrator and the IT practitioner, which we haven't done on the show before. And I think it's a very necessary voice in the conversation. So to help me with that, we have a great guest today. I'd like to introduce John Bristol, who is a practice leader at EVT Technologies. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rudy. Good to be here. So before we dive into what's happening in the world of IT and SI in terms of multi-cloud networking, tell me a little bit about your shop, about EVT.
0: Well, EBT was founded actually 20 years ago this year. Started out as a storage data center infrastructure reseller. I'd say within the last seven years or so, really expanded into services, acquired a DevOps shop and got into uh, the cloud space, uh, also uh, ServiceNow, ITSM management, really been on a journey the last seven years to uh, focus on more of the services side of the business um, in in IT technology uh, for customers, and most recently uh, expanded into security and networking.
1: What was it like acquiring the DevOps shop? Were you there for that
0: period? No, I was not. I was not there for that. Uh, I've joined EVT within the last year, uh, so I've actually uh, just came up on my one year anniversary. But uh, from everything I, I heard and uh, have witnessed a phenomenal group uh, led by a brilliant guy named Jordan and really has, has allowed us to get in and have the conversations ultimately that I needed to have with the automation side of the house and, right. uh, and what was happening with, with uh, the network infrastructure. So uh, it's great to have that in our, in our tool chest for sure.
1: Absolutely. I, my thought was just that that's a must have today for any you know consulting yeah. shop system integrator firm is a strong DevOps present. Do you use a lot of DevOps for your networking approaches? I mean, are you automating a lot of the network changes and network deployments? Yeah,
0: actually, uh, you know, that's the that's the really uh, what really drew me to EVT was the ability to work with counterparts more closely in the On-prem or or networking side, uh, typically got uh, left out of a lot of the conversations and uh, to be able to come into a company and be at the table with uh, the DevOps team and the cloud team really allows me to start the transformation for our customers from a networking perspective into more infrastructure as code and uh, leveraging, you know, everything from Red Hat Ansible to Terraform. So we're doing a lot in that space, working with uh, working with my counterparts, for sure.
1: What is the customer expectation about that when you go to a new customer or prospective customer and they're looking for your company to assist them with, you know, a networking deployment or an infrastructure deployment. Are they saying the first thing we want to do is automate?
0: No, not typically. Uh, uh, And and again, it kind of depends on who you're talking to. All right. Our customers are very large enterprises. Um, so they're uh, somewhat segmented or they can be segmented. It can go down to the business unit. So you could have a, a business unit that is much more uh, transformative and much more into, you know, as a code CICD pipeline uh, approach versus maybe the existing IT shared services organization, right? Um, which right. is going to be more traditional, especially from a networking perspective. But it does give us a big differentiator to be able to go in and op- and be able to Help them with uh, more rapid deployments through automation, and that's really what we're what we're focused
1: on. So then you look at their problems or their desired outcomes. Maybe it's not always a problem or a challenge, but they have you know a series of tasks and and things that they brought you in to do because they either don't feel comfortable doing it themselves, they know that they might have a skills gap, or they want to hit maximum velocity. You know they just need more talent, right. more people on the ground, and. And come to you with these asks. We'll we'll talk about those asks in a minute because I'm really curious to peel that onion and know what enterprises are really wanting. How long into the engagement before you're working with your customers and you politely just say, "No, not listen, listen, we got to automate this, right? This is why." How does that go? Are they like, "Yes, okay," the light bulb goes on and they're like, "Okay, I see now," or are they pushing back and saying, yeah, "I don't know about that." Uh, I mean, a little bit of both, uh,
0: but you know, one of the first things I did coming to EBT was go out and find some, some, some new talent, uh, that I could, that I could bring in and really, uh, work with me directionally on where I, I wanted to take the, the networking here and more aligned to automation. I got lucky and found a, an incredible architect that kind of what I call made that transition right from traditional CLI programming, uh, even scripting to full Automation uh, experience and capability and, and programmability. So I use him in, in unique ways with customers where we start off in a crawl, kind of a crawl, walk, run, right? Mm-hmm. And so we'll start with traditional conversation and approach, uh, especially to get into an engagement. And then it'll be, well, look what we can do, right? If we, if we do this and we kind of teach them to fish almost, right? It's, it's a, uh, it's a way to kind of get them. Comfortable with automation and and the programmability side without just you know coming in directly. But again, like I said, our customers are very large and unique, so it could it could be directly through an automation more aligned to our DevOps team. That's really where we 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 uh, work with them and and they kind of lead that through their motion of engagement. But we provide the expert expertise from a networking perspective.
1: How easy or difficult is it to automate an enterprise scale network in the cloud?
0: well it, it, again it kind of depends uh but you know w- one thing that i'm very excited about, I'm excited to be talking to you about what he is is aviatrix you know my journey to cloud networking cloud you know secure cloud networking really started with aviatrix um because of how i got introduced how i, how I got exposed and my background being much more traditional networking i'm, I'm what you call an old school ccie right I, i've been in the in the networking business for over 25 years and um, was an early CCIE and I kind of grew up through that late 90s 2000 uh, timeframe where everything was command line everything was was CLI and then you know as I got kind of away from the keyboard so to speak you know started to see the engineers that I, had, I, I was working with or were working with me you know some were picking up how to do things better right more effectively and efficiently using programmability and and others were you know, locked into uh, the way that we've always done it. And, and that's kind of the challenge that I see or and I saw until I, I really got exposed to Aviatrix, especially as it relates to cloud networking and automation in, in the cloud and the constraints of, of, of native cloud services.
1: So what kind of problems would a full automation platform like Aviatrix solve? Or what do you find is the sweet spot for it? when you are using it in in your engagements another way to think about that question would be is it helpful for people that are in just one cloud is it helpful for people that are in multiple clouds you know what kind of things does a platform like Aviatrix solve for your business and your customers
0: yeah and and i think uh you know one thing again from my seat being uh, uh you know more on the services and the and the, solution integrator side versus the OEM or their customer side is you know have to be very focused on what the customer's challenge is right what are what are we trying to solve for so I very much do not lead with uh you know a, a product or a solution it's what is the challenge that we're facing and for a lot of our customers it's operations it's it's visibility you know within the cloud or across clouds it's standardization we had a recent recent customer that had a big merger and they were an AWS shop and all of a sudden, you know, they're going into Azure. The, the conversation I had with the lead networking executive was, uh, was around, you know, if there's one thing I need, John, it's a, a network cloud architect that knows Azure. And I kind of chuckled and I, I thought to myself, I didn't say it. I just said, no, that's, that, that's exactly you know, the opposite of what he needs. Right. Uh, it, it really needs a multi-cloud architecture that has a standard, Capability, regardless of the cloud, because the next merger acquisition could be in GCP, right, or could be Oracle, or could be another provider altogether. So it's consistency. It, it skills gap is a big one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so having the expertise across cloud is very challenging, mm-hmm. and and that's really where you know I, I've found the biggest pain points within our customers is, is that lack of skill set across cloud architectures and then uh the operational visibility across and and there, there's there's several others as well security is 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 a big one there's a lot of challenges there that i believe Aviatrix overcomes that again as you get into the use cases you start to uncover and then and then you can really you know bring uh, the, the capabilities uh there it's pretty exciting because uh it's, it's kind of made it networking for me fun again yeah uh, and, and and got a seat at the table if you will with how you know the cloud uh is being architected
1: I remember when networking was fun. <laughs> 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 exercise, yeah. controlled chaos. Uh, yes, yes,
0: yes, yes, exactly.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Gosh, there's so much I want to talk about. I just want to kind of spoon feed it out so we don't go everywhere at once. Uh, <laughs> I love what you were saying about those challenges because I try to inform myself, of course, before each topic and each guest. So I sound like I have two brain cells. I can. Love it. <laughs> I'm sure you have a few more than that, Woody. Well, yeah. you know, I'm I'm getting up there. There was a study that was done in March of 2022, so not like hot off the press, but pretty recently, right? In terms of of relevance, uh, some things have changed in cloud networking since 2022, but fundamentally, I think the trajectory is still the same. It was done by Information Week with Compute Networking, and they uh, interviewed 300 IT professionals about. Networking pain points and challenges in multi-cloud, all right? And here are the five key themes, topic areas that came out of that. So 40% said network security was the top issue, followed by reduction of cost at 21%, staff and training at 19%, resiliency, which is interesting, at 15%, and then hybrid workforce support. I assume that means, you know, the work from home remote desktop piece at 15%. Would you kind of agree with that broad cut of challenge points? Did they miss something? What, in your experience, kind of how does that hash out? I don't think I
0: heard uh, the operations
1: in there. Right. Yeah, which I can tell
0: you is probably almost at the top of the list. Mm. Uh, and this has to do with MTTR, right? How do how you recover? How quickly can we, can we identify uh, the issue? And we all know, you know, if we've been in the industry a while, uh, the network usually gets is the first to get blamed, right? Uh, it's it's always a network problem. It's never the application. And so, you know, you're always trying to prove, you know, you, you, the innocence, if you will, right? Uh, that this isn't a problem. And that's the that's one of the most exciting and, and interesting use cases I, I find to be able to show a customer, you know, if you if you if you've never seen the topology view in Aviatrix, right, from the from Copilot, and be able to very quickly see a compute instance to compute instance or you know, AMI the virtual machine cross cloud pinpoint exactly where the issue is within less than thirty seconds. It's mind blowing for a lot of uh, a lot of customers that that we you know give that exposure to. Uh, so that's a lot of fun, and and I and I think it's also uh, massively important for leadership within our customers that are having to be responsible and accountable to the business on you know uptime and resiliency to have tools like that, and and. I say tool, but it's really visibility, because you know it provides much more than a tool uh, or a tooling capability. It really gives you control of the network, right and have that granular visibility. To me, that's one of the number one use cases. Another one that didn't get mis- mentioned was around financial side, right the cost side of the house. Mm-hmm. You know, you know these clouds and the cost that our customers are paying is enormous, and a lot of it has to do with poor architecture. Mm. Organic architecture that's grown, uh, where they did things organizationally and operationally because it was organic over time. So things like security controls that weren't there, having to use on-prem, and now you're dealing with egress charges, right? Because now you're now you're hairpinning all your security controls right. down to your on-prem data center, or you're you're doing it within a VPC, right? That that is a, that's more centralized than distributed. So you've got you know, egress charges even within the cloud, right? Uh, as you egress a VPC, So, so there's, there's a lot of cost uh, that gets exposed as you look at the, the architecture, uh, especially from a security perspective.
1: It's interesting you mentioned that. I'm a total nerd, no shock there. One of my favorite bands uh, still and growing up is Devo. And they have the song Freedom of Choice, right? And for me, that yeah. represents the entire conundrum of cloud networking in a nice little... Capsule. insofar as the song is freedom of choice is what you want, but freedom from choice is what you've got, which means you're surrounded by so much stuff, you don't know the best way forward. And so in some ways, all of this agility and programmability and stuff, even at the infrastructure layer, that's supposed to be so liberating, for many of us traditionalists, can be really overwhelming and confounding and also difficult insofar as it's very easy to build in cloud. Right, much more so than the data center. But it's much harder to build correctly, which is something I think is at the root of a lot of problems, as you mentioned, the root of cost, the root of security, because you can just go in cloud and bolt and bolt and connect and connect and put stuff here and there and everywhere to try to solve a problem. But then you create multiple landmines, right? Architectures that look good in the first three months, but then you rewind three years later and they're totally wrong from the ground up and then you have to destroy it all and rebuild. So there's this kind of get it right the first time um, that in my opinion is very tricky about cloud. Meaning it looks like you could just constantly change anything on a dime and just use agility to solve any problem, but people still forget that infrastructure is so fundamental that making big network changes is massively disruptive even in the cloud. And there you really have to pause and work closely with application teams and business owners to get a plan of attack to make sure that the network can scale correctly
0: would you agree uh, yeah 100 uh, percent and it is interesting because when you like you said it, it's just so easy to consume and it was it was purposely built that way right it was designed that way it, and it wasn't designed for network engineers right it was it was designed for for application owners and and developers right and and so all the services were were, were built to be easily consumable but at the same time, to scale and in a hyperscale model, they are very limited in what their purpose is, right, and what they actually functionally can do. And and it really wasn't until I'd say maybe just before the pandemic where you started to see this mass adoption across more than one cloud, right, Ooh. especially in large 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 enterprise organizations. And that brought in that brought in the networking element. That brought in all of a sudden, you know, interconnecting. Uh, and there were things like direct connects and express routes and, and ways to to get secure connectivity into those clouds, but there were limited uh, limitations, right? And you really didn't know what those limitations were until you had really true networking engineering looking into that, right? And all of a sudden, you're asking things like, "What do you mean I can't, you know, advertise that kind of a uh, BGP routes, right? Or I can't." I can't do these types of services because it's a black box service right from the native providers right from the native cloud providers so so that's what really i think started to open, you know, bring, open up pandora's box if you will uh but also opportunity for for networking um to to be able to come back into the value proposition if you will of, of cloud um and so that that's again where i think it's uh it's exciting um because you know we we now have the ability to 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 remedy a lot of what you just said Brian. there's a lot of uh things that are put together and and weren't put together ideally for a multi-cloud world that we can we can now start to to remedy
1: how's it going in the skills gap department and why i ask is like you you know i'm a traditional networking person at heart but you know uh turned into the cloud as my main foray sometime back in 2014 2015 kind of at azure when things were first going and of course understandably Back then, among networking and security folks, the understanding of a cloud was very nascent. The expectations that table stakes things would be supported in the cloud was very high because who wouldn't support um BGP communities? Who wouldn't support forwarding more than a thousand routes? You know, this, that, right. and the other. Right. Uh, right. And there was a lot of buyers remorse at the infrastructure level because people just naturally assumed that clouds would do even just a small you know, piece of what a data center could do from a routing perspective. And it took cloud a while to grow up and gain the maturity to to cover those feature sets. Are you still seeing that kind of nascent expectation when people are going to cloud or are people kind of getting the memo that, okay, this is going to be fundamentally different. I might not know how, but I better not assume anything.
0: Yeah, um, it kind of reminds me of, I mean, we. we... Again, for those of us who have been around a while um, in this in this space, uh, it, this isn't the first transition of really major technology, right? I joined uh, IT when the mainframe was sunsetting, uh, at least in, in in pure relevance, you know, major relevance, and, and you had PCs and client server coming. One of the biggest shifts was in voice. You know, when we when we brought voice into onto the to the network, I remember having a lot of concerns and challenges around getting network engineers to understand voice. Uh, it was it was a foreign language. And yet at the same time, you couldn't take legacy voice telecom type uh, folks and bring them into the, into the IP world. It, it was, it, so you had this conundrum of, of two different you know environments that didn't really wanna talk or work together and, and try to figure that out. So you had to kind of infuse them together. And I see the same with cloud. You have cloud architects that have been Kind of owning and, and responsible for cloud networking, uh, but yet they really you know don't have the the networking skill sets of a of a of an on-prem you know twenty-year network engineer right or or architect, and so there's a lot of of things that that networking talent can bring to the table to help with cloud, but they have to be able to to intercommunicate and 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 the and the constructs are different, right? But we again we've seen this before, and so it's really terminology. The cloud calls a transit gateway. Most of us call a router, right? But mm-hmm. yet, there's, there's this terminology matching that needs to happen. And again, what I found much like in the early part of my career with, with Cisco and Cisco certifications and things like CCIE and, 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 you know, I go far enough backward, there wasn't even career certifications in place, uh, other than CCIE. So, so, you know, as, as they've developed their whole. Certification track, um, you, you could, you could take Early IT, early you know, college graduates, and and start to develop them in this in this progressive track of learning, networking, and, and and that and honing those skills over time. When I got introduced to Aviatrix and I and I discovered the ACE certification, I mean, the first class I took was MCNA, uh, and what that did was it, you know it it opened my mind to what the clouds were doing in networking, right, and security, and translating that back to my knowledge and my understanding. And that started me down that path of, of being able to, you know, really understand the cloud and and the multi-cloud environment uh, to where it wasn't intimidating, right? It wasn't this intimidating thing uh, and it became very much consumable. And that's what I've been really bringing into, you know, our organization is that understanding and and awareness of what, what the cloud constructs are, how that relates to, more enterprise-grade networking, if you will, and security, and and, then infusing those together and growing our team accordingly.
1: Let's talk a minute, shifting gears, about the future of cloud. And here I'm interested in the idea of cloud technology meeting at the infrastructure level, perhaps merging into some more consistent framework and whether you think that's ever going to happen. What I mean here is first, let's just talk about fundamental connectivity. Azure, Microsoft Azure and Oracle OCI a couple of years ago did a partnership where their ExpressRoute and FastConnect platforms could basically uh, meet at like an Equinix facility so you could have direct private traffic between the clouds. Do you see that potential growing? Or do you think that there's so much competition between these clouds that that partnership is kind of a niche specialty. And even though their cages are literally like meters apart in these Equinix facilities, and you could just do big crossover cables, like the idea that clouds will support ubiquitous connectivity between each other is a pipe dream. What do you think?
0: I I don't think so. Again, seeing this happen over the years, I remember when when a lot of people were concerned about, you know, even using their banking online right? And, and concerns about security of that. And and there's still obviously massive cyber threats out there, but we are you know, an interconnected world. And I, I see the clouds being more interconnected. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to necessarily standardize, um, but I do think, I think more standards will evolve just like they had in, in networking over time. I mean, there were proprietary routing protocols that became standardized with, you know, things like OSPF and BGP and um, a, a lot mm-hmm. of standards so that we had easier intercommunication between, you know, the Cisco's and the Juniper's and the Arista's or wh- whatever the networking platform was. Now we have overlay, right? That provides really an underlay that is abstracted, right? And that's really what the cloud provides is this, is this underlay that really gives um, an abstraction layer and you layer on top, right? As that, I think, evolves even more, um, you'll see, more, again, as long as it's secure and as long as the, the fundamentals of that are, are trusted, uh, then I think today we've got a lot of, I don't want to call it band-aids, but I think there's a lot of patchwork going on that will be much more uh, seamless you know, as we go. And encryption is going to be a big part of that.
1: Absolutely. Encryption everywhere is so critical, especially because there are so many legacy protocols or heritage protocols, as I like to call them that are endemic and part of the enterprise world. I mean, financial enterprises still use mainframes to some degree, right? And it's right. not like right. this technology just instantly withers on the vine or dies on the vine, whatever the saying is. You know, it, some of it needs to run almost into perpetuity. And yeah. a lot of it is not TLS friendly. It's not wasn't written for a modern TCP stack. And it has to be secure and it has to be encrypted end to end. And you can't just make a web app or a mobile app for everything, right? There's these critical business systems that have got to um, be kind of undisturbed. I mean, so that's the hybrid conversation, uh, brownfield conversation, but there's a ton of brownfield. Do you see that scale's tilting more in your customer base where they are doing less lifting and shifting and more like, okay, we're gonna hit the ground running. We're gonna go in and build cloud native greenfield services from the ground up, or where are we on that journey? It's definitely happening
0: i think what i'm seeing is uh you know depending on the the size of the organization we have we have one right now that they will be fully in the cloud with zero on-prem data center within 18 months you know that opens up a whole different can of worms or or architecture for things like edge right and how the edge connects to the cloud and if it's no longer we're we're coming back to a, a a centralized you know whether it's redundant data centers, multiple data centers, but without being gone and everything is, it's in the cloud architecture. To me, that drives more for a standardized multi-cloud architecture that has to be there so that those edge services can have, you know, seamless connectivity wherever the, the application is located. Mm. So I, I see I see customers that are, you know, kind of on that journey. Some, some are, are saying, hey, we're, we're gonna be all in within a period of time. Mm-hmm. I think for our largest customers, it's it's definitely refactoring going on, new applications, cloud native, but but there is there is still a long road to get to get everything migrated over because a lot of it has been to your point lift and shift, right? So just standing up new instances that are that are in the cloud, but they're really uh, the legacy applications.
1: Are containers really a thing? I mean, of course, I know they're a thing <laughs> in a specific sense. I mean, it, they are popular with certain sets of people and certain types of development patterns. But what I mean is do you see containers sweeping the industry or is there still kind of a wait and see attitude about them? So that's not my necessary
0: area of expertise, uh although I'm definitely involved with a lot of that from our customers. But really my 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 DevOps and cloud team right counterparts are, are heavy in yeah. containers and containerization. Uh, and absolutely, I mean, we're we we are seeing it in every one of our large accounts. There, there are, you know, active programs in place, active migrations happening, right? But again, I would say that that is a somewhat of a, a maturity thing from a from an enterprise organization perspective. I think mm-hmm. um, as you go down market, you don't necessarily see that as aggressively, uh, at least in my experience. But but definitely, uh, it's not a trend. I mean, it, it's directionally, I think, where where the industry is headed.
1: Last question. The time has flown by. This has been such an amazing experience. (laughs) We could totally talk all day, but uh, there's one more question I want to get in. You know, you have a lot of experience now working with big enterprise customers, Fortune 500 customers, helping them with their networking goals, infrastructure goals across multiple clouds. If you could leave our listeners, which might be in that same business, in the SI business, or you know, IT networking security business, but maybe your top three tips and tricks on approaching multi-cloud networking, what would they be?
0: I don't like to give away my secrets, Woody. So I got to be careful with you know <laughs> who's listening to this. Yeah, one thing for sure is to to not try and boil the ocean, right? It, this is a journey. What I'm finding is the the, the right personas in the customer. That understand and have the challenges uh, of of cloud networking, cloud security operations, and and so just knowing the, the the right you know audience to talk to is is a big piece of it, and then it's it's really you know the challenge and the pain just being very aware of where their challenges are. The things that i I kind of talk to my sales team about are things like you know M and As right if, if 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 there's any of that kind of activity going on. To me, it speaks to what challenge will be there, right? Because you know the, the likelihood of it being a, a you know a disparate cloud or or, or having having a multi cloud environment, um, or even if, if it's within the same cloud, you've got you've got you know architectural uh, limitations that that'll that'll exist. So, uh, M is definitely one. Again, back to our size of customers, they are large, so they have large spends in uh, AWS, and so there's uh, the cost side of this. Um, so how, how they're managing costs how they show back or charge back I'm finding a lot of them don't do that at all they just kind of be you know, better spread it across uh, you know the, the accounts or the, or the lines of business that are in in the cloud so giving visibility to that at a granular level is very interesting to to customers so uh, and then there's that network the core networking side of you know we're, we're architecting this way because that's the only way we ha- can do it because of the constraints using native, Cloud services, right? Using native networking services, so opening that team up to understanding, you know, a more enterprise grade networking capability and security capability within the cloud is another great conversation. to Have so, so those are the the, the big three for me. I think outside of of just talking multi cloud, it's it's you know how how they're managing the routing and, and connectivity to the cloud, the security uh, aspects. Customers saying, hey, I just want to get all these next gen firewalls out of cloud you know, how do I do it? Because uh, they're, they're, they're so expensive. So um, being able to, you know, get to the security architect within the cloud is, is a great opportunity to kind of expose the, uh, the challenges. So those are, those are probably the big ones for me.
1: Well, John, that was fantastic. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. As always, I've learned a lot and best of luck with what comes in the future with EVT. It sounds like a phenomenal shot.
0: Yeah, it was great talking with you. Thank you for having me. And I, I, I uh, very much look forward to more uh, Altitude podcasts for me. So excited. All right.